I'm guessing that some of you here have studied for a test before. Is that right? Yes. I am aware, fully aware that some of you may be studying for a test right now. Come on, I'm just being real, people. I know it happens. I'm just being real. Well, I'm guessing that when you study for a test, and after you've covered the material, you get to the end of the road, right? You're all, you've covered everything that you could, and you get to that point where it's the last minute. You've reviewed your notes. You've gone over assignments that you've completed. You have gone over equations that you know that are important. And you get near the end, and what do you do? You take one last look through the most important material. You look for the things that you've highlighted. You look for those equations that you know that your professor said, this is going to be on the test. Make sure that you don't forget this. You flip through those memory cards, those vocabulary words, one more time, trying to find the ones that are going to be the most important. And, and why do you do this? Because you think that it's among the most important material. It's the things that you, when you walk into the test, you think, I can't forget this. If there's one thing I can't forget, it has to be this. I know this is going to be on there. Well, in our text tonight, what we have is Paul hitting the Philippian church with some of the material that he thinks is really important. He's not preparing them for a test, of course. What he's, what he's preparing them for is the living the Christian life that he's called them to in the church in Philippi. You see, the, the church in Philippi, as we have learned by now, was a, was a hodgepodge of people. It had the, a Jewish faction. It had some of the Jewish believers. It had Greeks. It had Roman soldiers who had been given land there in Philippi. And this group of people was coming together and trying to figure out what did it mean to follow Jesus together faithfully here. And very early on, they found that it had some challenges. Some things weren't quite as easy as they thought it might once you began to follow the way. We find right here at the beginning of the passage that there's two women who are called out by name by Paul and says, I urge you, Euodia, I urge you, Syntyche, get along. Apparently there was something that had created some dissension among these two women. It's not, we're not exactly sure what it was, but based on the way that Paul handles it, we can be assured it was serious. I mean, could you imagine being in a a room filled with this many people, and if I saw two people who I knew weren't getting along in their apartment or in their resident hall or their house and said, uh, the two of you, if you'd please stand up. I I've heard some things are going on, and I'm a little concerned. Yet, yeah, just go ahead and stand up. I'd like everybody here in the community to know that you're not getting along. I mean, that's the equivalent of what's happening here. It is in your face, and Paul is going to call them out. Clearly, it also marks that there's a strong relationship here. Paul has built enough trust with the people there to be able to connect with them. He knows these women well. He knows them by name. But there's this conflict. And while we don't know directly, there's some things that we can know indirectly about what maybe this was about. You see, in other places when Paul does teaching, when he addresses issues, if it was of a theological nature, in all likelihood, he would have done some teaching on it in the book. So we can probably rule out that it was a theological issue. In all likelihood, it was a personal issue. There were these two women who couldn't get along. We're not exactly sure. I don't want to begin to make any presumptions about what that might have been as a male. That's dangerous water to walk into. 
All we know is that they're not getting along. And so Paul says, listen, I urge you, come together. Work this out. And what's even more problematic about the the rift is that it seems to have caused division in the church. It seems that lines have been drawn, parties have been formed, teams have been separated, and there was all of a sudden those people over there, and there were some other people over here, and there was a dividing line between them. Now, we don't know exactly what the issue was, but Paul gives us enough to know that it was problematic for the church there. So we have this personal conflict that's going on in the church in Philippi. That's number one. It also comes up in the the passage that it seems that worry and anxiety was, was plaguing the believers there. We see it here where Paul writes, do not be anxious about anything. Well, you maybe have read letters or you've studied this before. It it seems to make sense to me, tell me if you would agree, that if Paul tells the people there, do not be anxious about anything, that in all likelihood, anxiety may have been something plaguing them. Yes? In all likelihood. And he talks a lot about peace here. So on the one hand, he's saying, don't be anxious, and I want to give you peace. It strikes me that in all likelihood, there was a lack of peace in this community for some reason. And again, we're not for sure, all the reasons. But we know that there was conflict. We know that there were things that were coming up in this community that was robbing them of the peace that God so longed to give them. In, in Greek culture, it wasn't all that common, uncommon for this sort of worry and anxiety to be normal. There were so many gods and goddesses in the Greek world that you could never be sure who was pleased with you for what you had done and who was angry for you doing the same thing. And as a result, lots of people kind of had to tip throw through life. And anytime something good came up, it was wondering which God had done this thing, good thing for them. And at the same time, anything bad happened, it was like tiptoeing around thinking, oh, I'm sick, I wonder who I made mad. I, when the crops didn't come in and they didn't produce a good harvest, oh, we must have irritated a God and that's the result of it. And so the people learned to walk on their tiptoes, to live in fear, to always wonder if the next thing that they did was going to make a God mad and thus result in negative consequences for them. It was a life marked by worry. It was a life that was, had anxiety always right at the surface. There was never any sense of being able to relax or to enjoy peace Because you always wondered if the next thing that you did, if the next thing that you said was going to bring about some sort of tragedy, some sort of repercussion that you couldn't have predicted. And as a result, the people lived in fear. The people lived with worry. The people lived wondering, could they make it another day living like this? As I listened to the prayers that were offered just a few minutes ago, I, I heard a, a similar sort of theme come through. People wondering, how much longer can I live like this? The weight of life, the weight of academic worry, the weight of broken relationships, the weight of, of mental illness, the weight of family illness or personal illness just weighing on us 
and it begins to feel like you're walking with this big, heavy backpack on, and you just think, I don't think I can carry this much longer. And so as I read this book of Philippians, Paul's words to the church in Philippi, I think, boy, there's something here for us. There's something here for us who are walking through life with so many burdens we're just not sure what to do. Just in the, the past week as I was writing this sermon, I got an email from a dear friend of mine. He and his wife have been trying to get pregnant for a number of years now and they finally had gotten pregnant seven weeks ago. And then his wife and his, my friend went to the hospital to listen for the heartbeat do the ultrasound, and they went, and there was no heartbeat. They had lost the baby. I thought, oh, what a heartache that they carry. And in this week, I had a student who came into my office and sat down and really at the end of it all said, I wonder if I'm ever going to make any friends here at Calvin College. Everybody seems to come in with their group. Everybody seems to know people from high school. Everybody has a music group or an athletic group. They have a sense of a belonging, a place to connect. I don't have one person like that. I wonder if my whole time here at Calvin, my four years, will be defined by being the odd person out. This week in my office, I had a young woman who's engaged to be married, not a Calvin student. And she wondered, will the sexual abuse of her past destroy her future marriage? And the sort of worry and anxiety that, that creates in her life, wondering, worrying, is something that if you, if you give yourself just a minute, it turns your stomach. As I was writing the sermon, I was just reflecting on my week, the sort of weighty, heavy things that burden us, that, that make us feel like we're carrying this backpack around no matter where we go, and we can't get rid of it. To, and to be honest, it was a, a sermon to come and prepare and think about God's peace, and I had all of these things coming in, all these things that I was dealing with and there was such a lack of peace that I never felt like I get, could get to this place to actually think about God's peace. Because the things that you carry, the things that I carry, the things that we know are a part of our lives but we don't talk about it very often weigh us down. And they're hard. And so I read this text with a different set of eyes this week and I was wondering and wrestling with it to say, what is, God, what is here for us? What is here for the people who come and need a word from God that says there is good news? It's not always going to be like this. I don't have to tiptoe around like the Greeks worrying about what's the next thing that's going to go wrong for me. I don't have to carry the burdens of, of a friend who's battling depression and I don't know what to do. I don't know what to say. And every night I go to bed wondering and worrying what he or she might do. And I looked at the text and I kept reading it and looking at it. And part of the reason that we did this time of prayer together because there's, there's a 
There's an offer and there's a promise in the text. If you have your Bibles open, we read, Paul writes, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Then he writes this, Do not worry about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And I read through all that, and what stood out the most was the words, in Christ Jesus. In Christ Jesus. Those words, in Christ Jesus, appear eight times in the letter. Eight times. If you have your Bibles open, you can flip through. We'll take a quick. Paul begins the letter in 1 verse 1. You remember this? All the way over here. Pastor Mary's first sermon. To the saints, to all the saints in Christ Jesus. Pastor Mary reminded us that these people really weren't saints if you were here for that sermon. It was, a rag, it was sort of a, a ragamuffin sort of group. But he calls them saints in Christ Jesus. 1 verse 26, Paul writes, So that I may share abundantly in your boasting in Christ Jesus when I come to you again. 2 verse 4, flipping the page. 2 verse 5, excuse me. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus. 3 verse 3, and boast in Christ Jesus. 3 verse 14, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the heavenly call of God in Christ Jesus. The passage we read today will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. 5 or 4 verse 21, greet every saint in Christ Jesus. Paul makes it abundantly clear if you're seeking peace, if you're seeking to figure this all out on your own, you are going to have to try an awful long time and you're going to be disappointed over and over. The good news of the gospel is only in Christ Jesus. So often we want to come to the gospel and we want all the promises, we want all the things that God has to offer, except we want to do it on our own. We want to do it on our own for a variety of reasons, including we want credit at the end of the day. We want to be self-sufficient, things that our culture values. And so to say we have to do it only in Christ Jesus seems like maybe we're cheating. Maybe we're not going to get as much credit as we'd like. Not only does Paul write the words in Christ Jesus eight times, if you add in the Lord, which is in the same passage as well, in the Lord, that's another nine times. So between in Christ Jesus and in the Lord, 17 times in this short letter, Paul tells the church in Philippi, these things that you want to do, these people that you want to be, these things that you want are only available in Christ Jesus. That's where it's found. Paul does, a, Paul does an interesting thing here. There's, there's really two, uh, two messages that he has here. So we have this passage of rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. 
Do not be anxious about anything. All this passage, really what it is, is a summary of Jewish piety. Prayer, joy, thanksgiving, you throw in peace. These are all Jewish ideas. He tips his hat, so to speak, to the Jewish believers, believers there in, in some ways to say, these things still matter. We're not throwing out all of them. Then he, then he moves and he turns and he says, gets to the passage about the things that we should think about. Whatever is true, honorable, pure, pleasing. He goes on, just. Any, anybody know where that list comes from? Greek culture. This was Plato. This was Aristotle. This was the Stoics. This was Paul saying the, the, the best things that you have in your culture, that it's okay. Those things we want to take. And he says, whatever, whatever is true, whatever is pure, whatever is honorable, whatever is pleasing. He, he doesn't make this sort of distinction that we might expect. He doesn't say these things that are, these things that are in the church, whatever is in the church is good. Whatever is in the Jewish community, that's good. Whatever is, he doesn't say that. He says, anywhere you see something that is good, grab it, hold on to it. Anywhere that you see something that is pure, grab it, hold on to it. This is, this is the point in this sermon where I, I don't want to use a word that I know that you may be annoyed with, but I have to use it anyway. What he's talking about is discernment. I knew it. Thank you. Thank you. I'll wrap it up. He says discernment. He says it's not, you can't just make these easy sorts of divisions that you'd want to and say, that's all good and that's all bad. This is why we have a student activities office here at Calvin. Because we know that there are things in culture that are worth holding on to. They're not Christian bands, but what they sing about, what they write about, is true. It's excellent. So the work that Ken and Rob and Kirsten and others do matters because it reflects the kingdom. And Paul gives a nod to the Greeks and says, we're not going to throw it all out. We're not going to say that everything that is Greek is bad. And it requires this discernment word. And so he says to you and to me, that discerning eye is one of those things that's going to lead to this peace. You see, he links it. He has this Jewish piety, the ways that we relate to God. If you think of the two great commandments, in some ways he's saying is, listen, worship and prayer and thanksgiving and peace, these things that we think traditionally of the vertical relationship with God, those things matter. Those things matter. But then he comes over here and he looks at the world and he says, think, and, think about these things and put these things that you think about into practice. Whatever you have learned and whatever you have received and whatever you have seen and whatever you have heard, do these things. You see, for him, the, the right relationship with God and the right relationship with the world to each other, they're linked. They can't be separated. For him, you can't come over here and say, oh, I am going to worship God. I'm going to praise God. I'm going to do all those things. But th it really has nothing to do with that stuff over here. I'm just going to plant myself over here in the, 
in the worship piety side. That, this is pretty much what, this is what I do. And you can't come over here and say, you know, what I really do is love the world. And this is, so I'm going to think about these things. I'm gonna... Paul says, no, th- these things belong together. Right relationship with God leads to right relationship with people. And you can't have one without the other. He says, when these things come together, there's a peace that passes all understanding. This week, I had 40 letters in my possession. Letters that were creating in my life a good deal of anxiety, important documents. And these letters needed to be sent out across North America and in Europe. And they needed to be successfully delivered to each of the individuals and the consequences of them not being delivered could be quite significant. And so all week, I have this high anxiety. I have getting the letters printed, make sure it's on the letterhead, make sure it looks right, make sure they get signed appropriately, make sure that the the letter on the envelope matches the letter that's in there, that all the names got linked. You really don't want to have the wrong letter going to this person. And I had this high level of anxiety all week. And then something happened. I took the stack of 40 letters that were all signed, they were all, had the addresses printed on them appropriately, they all had stamps on them, and I placed them in that little box in our office that says outgoing mail. And you know what happened? Almost the instant that I placed the letters in that that box, my anxiety went away. My anxiety just went, it was like gone. This thing that I'd been carrying for really for a couple weeks, which is, oh, I don't know. And it, it, it hit me. It hit me. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition, present your request before God. And the God of peace, the God of peace that surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts. That's, that's military language. Guard, defend, keep, protect your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I realized that once I sent the letters out, it was just like when when God invites us. When God invites us to, to send our prayers, to send our worries, to send our requests to Him. And that when we do, the peace of God can come. When we send them out, the peace can come. And I thought about why, why is it that when I sent the letters, when I placed them in that box in our office, did I stop worrying about them? I think, I think number one, I stopped worrying because I realized I couldn't do anything about it anymore. There was nothing I could do that could have any impact on whether that, those letters made it to California or Washington or the Netherlands or Grand Rapids. No, There's nothing I could do. And I acknowledged it. That was number one. Number two is, I don't know about you, I have tremendous confidence in the United States Postal Service. I mean, these, these people do an incredible job. I, I was thinking about it. You know, I probably sent hundreds, if not over a thousand uh, documents or packages over the course of my lifetime. And to my knowledge, everyone has been delivered. Everyone's made it to his destination. Isn't that amazing? I mean, you can just slip it in this little box and it goes wherever you put the little letters and numbers and somebody else knows where that goes. And I realized I had confidence in the one who was receiving the letters. And I thought, this, this, this is what we have in our relationship with God. 
God invites us to take the things that worry us, that burden us, and he offers us to give them to him, to send them to him, and say, God, these are yours. These are things that I cannot do on my own. These are things, problems I can't solve on my own. But I believe you can. And so I'm going to send them to you. And if you can believe this, God is even more dependable than the United States Postal Service. He is. God takes the things that we send and he cares for them. What's, what's often hard for us to believe is that God cares about the things that we care about even more than we do. The roommate who's battling depression the friend whose parent died. The test that you have coming up. The anxiety that comes about wondering how it's going to go. Or how it just went. He cares about it more than we do. And I, I hope, my hope for you and the hope for me is that acknowledging that God cares, that God is capable, that we can send the worries and anxieties that we carry and give them to Him. So the question I have for you is, what anxieties and what worries are you carrying? What are the things that you, when you wake up in the morning, you, you kind of fill up this invisible backpack, you have this extra, extra zipper in your, your backpack and you take those things and you, you slide them down, nobody can see them. Most people don't know that they're there. But every day you carry them. Maybe it's something that's going on back home with your family. Maybe it's a broken relationship right here. Maybe it's a significant loss. I don't know what those things are, but I, I bet you do. And what I want you to know is that the God of peace offers you the peace of God. The God of peace offers you, he offers me, the peace of God. And I don't want one person to leave here tonight To leave having not heard God's invitation to take the things that you carry. So what I'd like to do is, is close. I'd like to, before I close and pray, I want to give you just a minute to think about what is the thing that you carry? What's the worry? What's the anxiety? And where you are, in whatever way that you'd like, to say, God, I don't want to leave here tonight carrying the thing that I came in with. And so I'm giving it to you. Let's pray.
God, I pray in the powerful name of Jesus Christ, by your Holy Spirit, that you would receive into your hands whatever anxieties or worries have been sent to you. And I pray that as those things are sent by the people all over this space, that they would sense the peace of God moving into them. And I pray that this peace, God, wouldn't be only something that's experienced inward, but that would be something that would impact their whole person. That it would change their affect, that it would change the way they relate to other people, that they would have a a weight lifted because tonight they've given you whatever has been weighting them down. Lord, we offer it to you knowing that you are capable and knowing that you care. And we pray this now in the name of our risen Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.